Okay, well, welcome. I'm very pleased to welcome you uh, here. I think a few people have been distracted by exams and essay deadlines, but that will not distract us because uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome um, Frédéric Verrel to come and speak on Of Regime and Movements, Authoritarian Reform, Reform and the 2011 Popular Uprisings in Morocco. My name is John Chowcraft. I'm an associate professor in the government department. I worked on labor, migration, and contentious mobilization in the Middle East and North Africa. Today, we're going to have about a 45-minute lecture, and that'll leave about 40 minutes for questions from the floor afterwards. Do please turn off your mobile phones if you haven't already. Uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome uh, Dr. Frédéric Verrel, he's an associate professor at the University of Ottawa in political studies. Uh, his research interests include authoritarian situations and popular uprisings in the Arab world, activist careers and contentious politics, as well as the international circulation of models of reconciliation. But he has a very long list of publications to his name, uh, and I won't go through all of them. But I should mention, I would like to mention his latest book, which is currently published in French by the Presse de Sciences Po, 2014. It's called Politique et Mouvements Sociaux au Maroc, la Révolution des Amorcés. So, politics and social movements in Morocco... What is it? The revolution disarmed, the revolution foiled, degraded, put back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, and there's also an edited volume, a substantial edited volume with someone called Michel Camot, and uh, which is Soulèvement et Recomposition Politique dans le Monde Arabe, and that's 2014 um, Montreal Press, and so, and especially posing this question as well about whether there's a, a, a whether we should see the what happened in 2011 as uprisings or, or revolutions. There's a, a book, there's book, a, a, a major edited volume that's better known to English audiences, which is the one with Joel Bynin, Social Movements, Mobilization and Contestation in the Middle East and North Africa, that came out in 2011, came out again in 2013, uh, and it's an edited volume that's been very successful and had a lot of, a lot of coverage and interest because... Uh, because of its quality and because of that it comes at, at an important moment after the, the 2011 uprisings. There's, he's, he's done many other publications. He got his PhD in 2005 from the Institut d'études politiques in uh, Aix-en-Provence. Um, and so it's a great pleasure to have Frédéric here. Uh, before we begin, just to let you know that there is a hashtag for this event if you would like to tweet what's going on uh, in order to keep uh, everybody informed. It's uh, hashtag LSE in capitals and then VRL. Uh, and let's see, and, and, and let me thank uh, Sandra Sphair and the Middle East Centre for organising this event. So, let's welcome Frederick. Um, thanks for attending and 
thanks so much, uh, John, for inviting me. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Uh, I'm very honored to be here at LSE. And um, I thank also Sandra's Fair for organizing the, the whole event. Um, the, the, the lecture I will present tonight is, um, is drawing a bit on the book uh, John mentioned, which are unfortunately in French, uh, the one with uh, Michel Camo uh, um, about the, the 2011 uprising and, and political recompositions in, in, in the Arab world and the other one on, on social movements in, in Morocco. But I wanted to, um, to stress um, tonight what happened uh, in 2011 in Morocco, taking into account uh, the, the street side and, and the regime side. So um, during the, the 2011 uh, popular uprising, uh, uprisings, the, the same thing uh, did not happen everywhere in the Middle East and North Africa. Put another way, if you want, uh, Tunisia is not Morocco, which in turn is different from Bahrain. And even if the, the power of example played from one country to another, uh, Arab countries are not dominoes. Most of the literature about the uprisings focused either on the unfolding of mobilizations or on uh, regime uh, responses. And in order to understand what happened in Morocco, if you want a set of uh, widespread but uh, limited and numerous mobilizations and political reforms led by the monarchy, one does not need to, um, to mobilize the official discourse of a Moroccan uh, specificity. Rather, uh, tonight I will propose to consider together uh, the regime side, decisions made by the authorities, and contentious politics, or if you want, the street side. In 2011, the regime uh, resorted to a policy mix of short and long-term reforms, toleration, repression, and containment of uh, street mobilizations, thus avoiding uh, producing martyrs, uh, which ignited protests elsewhere. In order to understand how the regime dealt with the Moroccan equivalent of the Arab uprisings, uh, which I'm not, uh, I don't call uh, the, the Arab Spring, we have to take into account larger processes of authoritarian reform, which began in the 90s, around, su around such catchwords as uh, civil society, human rights, good governance, market-oriented reforms. Talking about authoritarian reform uh, means it has never been uh, a question for Moroccan authorities to democratize the country. Nevertheless, they have understood that in order to maintain their grip on the Moroccan society, they had to change. So in the first part of my argument, I will present to you the contentious space and the 20th February movement mobilization, named by the first date uh, of the first national uh, demonstration. But in Morocco, as elsewhere, it is important to move away from what Werther Taylor uh, calls the immaculate view of uh, social movements' origins. If you want, uh, mobilization never emerged in a state of social and political weightlessness. The Moroccan contentious space has a history, a rich history, um, which influenced the 20, 20th uh, and 11 mobilizations. Despite the richness and the number of its mobilization, uh, more than 5,000 protest events in uh, 2008, and figures are from the Ministry of Interior, 6,400 in 2009, more than 8,500 
in 2011. I don't have the figures for 2011 because it was almost uh, something happening every day um, in many cities or even in rural areas. But self-limited mobilizations are the main features of the Morgan Condensed Space. Or if you, if you prefer, actors calculate their moves and choose very cautiously the numbers, the moments and the places uh, they decide uh, to mobilize. The 20th February movement fits very well into this uh, framework of self-limited mobilizations and it can be easily, be easily described as an ear and a continuator of the, the Moroccan contentious space. Um, activists of the 20th February movement only broke temporarily with uh, these logics uh, during uh, 2011. The other part of the argument will pay attention to the policy mix of short-term measures like hiring unemployed graduates or rising public servant salaries and the minimum wage, and middle-term reforms, like installing the Economic and Social Council or the National Council for Human Rights. And I will also discuss what is called in Morocco Chantier de Reine, which can be translated as, as Royal Social Works, like long-term public policies programs, and uh, the, the best example of them is the National Initiative for Human Development. And I will finally address the functioning of the political scene and its consistency, or if you, if you prefer, the, the thickness of the, the, the political life in Morocco. It offers, um, if offers of, uh, of reform could be believed in by people, by the Moroccan people and by Moroccan activists or uh, political actors, it is because the, the political scene is not a puppet show, despite its neutralization. Uh, it's, it's not a place where uh, people are competing for power. Um, the literature on the uprisings has been mainly focused upon two perspectives, contentious politics on one side and authoritarian regimes on, on the other. Uh, one body, and, and, and a huge body of literature, deals with the uprisings, protest movements, and their unfolding contentious practices, activist careers, dynamics of repression and mobilization, and their effect on regime change. Among this part of literature, one can find the always uh, wrong but always trendy literature that reduced the uprisings to their causes, frustration, anger, poverty. Another part of the literature insists on the importance of understanding regimes and their workings. And there have been very useful and insightful pieces of, uh, of, of research and knowledge published on the matter in a bid to understand mechanisms of authoritarian learning as regime responses to the uprisings. And I'm thinking to an article from uh, Stephen Eidemann and, and Reinhold Linders. But most of the works on political regimes follow the theme of the robustness of authoritarianism as a symptom of, of the so-called Arab exceptionalism. In a way, the literature on the robustness of authoritarianism has always been trying to answer the question, how, how is it that they, they, they don't democratize. And it was insisting on the overdevelopment of uh, regime coercive uh, capacity or regime coercion capacities. But the presuppositions of uh, the, this theme are debatable. First, uh, it's quite not clear that uh, the glo globalization is uh, democratizing the world, or it's not clear that the world is democratizing. And coercion is considered in a rather indistinct way, uh, usually in this, uh, in this literature. 
in order to understand what happened in 2011 and beyond in Morocco, we have to cross both the side of the regime and the side of street politics. Given the differences from one country to another, understandably, not the same thing happened everywhere. This does not, this does not, not mean, however, that social scientists uh, should try to discover missing things. Like, where there, why is there no democracy in the DR world? The question to me is not to find what is missing in Morocco, but to describe what happened in Morocco in 2011. This is why I've divided my presentation in four parts, which aim to take into account various dimensions, which help to answer quite basic questions. How the, the regime could handle the 2011 moment and maintain itself? How can we account of the dynamics of mobilizations? The first part of these dimensions is the, the continued self-limitation of the Moroccan contentious space. The second relates to how authorities constrain and repress mobilizations. The third part is about reforms and how they fit into a larger series and time frame. And then, if I have time, uh, I will tell you a bit more about the political scenes and the announcement of constitutional reforms. But uh, before um, describing the, 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 these four parts, let me be clear on one methodological uh, aspect. In my perspective, these dimensions are not to be understood as variables. What is important is the whole process they fall within. They are not independent variables whose importance we could assess or measure. Or measure. Uh, it does not mean I'm only telling you a Morgan story, and as you will see, there are a few disciplinary or few engagements with social sciences disciplines about contentious politics and political regime, and one being that uh, even in authoritarian regime, politics never means a shadow play or um, a puppet show. So first, how did the, the mobilizations uh, unfold? Uh, to me, the criterion to understanding mobilizations is not their effect on the regime, but rather the emergence of the unexpected and how they break mobilization routines, which did not happen in, in 2011 in, in Morocco, but was the case, for example, uh, in Bahrain. At the beginning of 2011, following the Tunisian and Egyptian uprisings, demonstrations organized by the 20th February movement were neither able to reach popular sectors nor to destabilize the regime architecture. And despite the contribution of uh, justice and beneficence, probably the largest Islamist organization in the country, despite their spread in various parts of the territory, Contestation dynamics did not reach national amplitude by spin-off processes from one side to another. Whether this was due to their leader cautious behavior or their shattered hopes, uh, the 20th February movement could not count on the support of political parties and trade unions. And moreover, and finally, its leaders faced the fact that the people did not want to. Inheriting from previous mobilizations, the 20th February movement actions maintained the self-limitation mechanisms characterizing the Moroccan contentious space, 
and you can um, you can observe these mechanisms at different level of the of the mobilization modes of actions practices and slogans mobilization sites alliances and numbers regarding modes of actions activists did not commit to take or occupy durably symbolic sites uh, the open sitting in uh, Place Nevada in, in Casablanca held after the 20th, uh, the 24th April protest march was not able to gather participants to the protest, launched by about 20 activists, but without the participants' full accord, it was stopped the next morning. Secondly, the more conversion of, of the Egyptian or Yemeni Yasput done with is also very meaningful by the precise choices in slogans wording. Government and parliament are the targets. The king's private secretary and wealth manager, Al-Majidi. The king's former classmate who became secretary of state of interior and an advisor to the king, were hardly spared. But uh, the movement also rejected the constitutional reform announcement proposed for the 1st of July 2011. But nevertheless, the royal figure stayed largely uncriticized, even though some proclaimed majesty is for God and sacredness is too much for you. During mobilizations, slogans at, time, at times target the, the, the king. For example, on, on the 13th March of uh, 20th, 2011, in Casablanca, the slogan, a king who reigns but does not govern, became a king who does not reign nor govern, but only when the police began to violently beat protesters. In different protests observed in the early uh, 2000s, the Arab regime denunciations was sometimes transformed in the monarchical regime zero. So you had, uh, at the time, uh, uh, Arab regime zero, and then sometimes you could hear also uh, the monarchy uh, zero. Uh, these limits of self-limitation are not the symptoms of the movement's unraveling which would lead to its end. On the contrary, they are contextual for two reasons. First, they are related to the power of example, the impact of imitation processes from Tunisia to Egypt and then to Morocco. And Secondly, they should be related to a moment in time. For example, the repression of a sit-in which was following the royal speech of the 9th of March announcing the establishment of a constitutional amendment constitution. And uh, this day, if people were beaten uh, so harshly, it was because, in a way, they, they didn't hear the royal speech, speech and because there were Islamists and leftists gathering in the same, in the same place. Third, uh, the fact that the movement avoided royal palaces is notable. However, the choice made that, that by the 20th February movement activists of mobilization sites, like the building of the Directorate for Territory Surveillance, or if you want the, the secret police, or departure points from popular neighborhoods, marked the moment when the activist registry overrode self-limitation mechanisms. Uh, fourthly, when, when it comes to alliances and numbers, uh, the 20th February movement has not been able to organize massive and repeated uh, marches. The movement appears much as a series of micro-mobilizations spread out in different cities and localities, where local coordination committees 
adapt national watchwords to local context. Although the movement triggered uh, various um, sectorial mobilization, postmen, medical interns, Mark Telecom's engineers, for example, it has never been able to federate them. And it is also the case for the concomitant unemployed graduates' mobilizations. Their participation to the 20th February movement is ephemeral. For example, on the 24th of November in Rabat, when uh, protesters called for a boycott of legislative elections, the unemployed graduates also marched down uh, the, the, the same avenue and formed condoms to clearly mark the distinction between the two groups and the two marches. Uh, Shall I just jump in? Is that, how's the microphone? Is it booming a bit? Shall I move it? Shall I just move it back that way a little bit? Is that good? Um, my exploration into mobilization and contentious practices would be incomplete without taking into account the ways repression worked during uh, the uprising. And I will take into account how repression is usually used in Morocco, learning processes um, on the side of authorities, and innovation in, in the coercive repertoire. Uh, the way repression worked cannot be reduced uh, to its uh, escalating effect on collective action. In Morocco and other cases like Jordan or Algeria, the mastery of security forces, their capacity to maintain orders and channel protests, and also their fear of any situation getting out of hand, have contributed to limit mobilization. Um, you probably know it, but in some places in Algeria, police was going out without guns to avoid any shooting to, to people and then then. then. In matters of mobilization, containment, the question is not about repression capacities because they are overdeveloped and overdimensioned all over Arab countries, but how they are implemented. And first, the, the responses of, of the Moroccan authorities were between uh, the registry of repression and that of containment. During the past 20 years, and contrary to other cases in the region, Moroccan authorities have learned to allow the public expression of dissent in the streets, prov provided, of course, it does not uh, destabilize the public order. And Moroccan security forces have learned to maintain order without repressing, uh, which is quite um, unusual in the region. They have also learned to use force carefully and counterbalance repression and constraint with public order maintenance. So the way police repressed, because they did, or maintain order in other key moments did not provide martyrs to the, to the movement as it was the case in Tunisia or Egypt. And it is worth noting that in this matter the Moroccan authorities followed the path and tried and test solutions uh, which were uh, already uh, used during the, the, the 90s uh, uh, during the marches against the war in Iraq. For example, for on the 20th February uh, in Casablanca, the police were invisible in Casablanca. And in other situations, despite massive uh, police deployments, repression produced injuries, sometimes serious, but it did not provide martyrs to the, the movement whose memory or funerals could have played a role of focal points on which the movement could build on to find a new strength. This is why the use of violence in other moments is all the more meaningful, because it contrasts very strongly with situations where security forces had been particularly discreet. 
And for example, they were very discreet during demonstration which denounced uh, the death of Kamal Omari on uh, June the 2nd, 2011, or during marches calling for election boycotts. The constraint on, on mobilization is quite revealing of the transformation capacity of the regime and of its various re responses to, uh, to mobilization. And this, uh, this restraint was probably one of their strengths. If you compare Morocco to other cases, uh, one uh, would regret uh, only a few deaths, contrary to the Tunisian, Egyptian, Bahraini, Syrian or Libyan violence. Uh, from one, one account to another, it's between 9 or 10 people for the, the whole year 2011. And for some activists of the 20th February movement, it's only, there is only one martyr, true martyr, if you want. So the, the police and security forces have adapted their, their response between maintaining orders, order during large national demonstration and repression against less numerous public gatherings. So in, in doing so, they, they set the feasible, the possible, and the forbidden. For example, we, in which places it is possible to, to demonstrate and uh, which kind of relation can be, can be made between the population and the, the 20th February movement. Um, authorities have also innovated uh, in their coercive repertoire. And they have, for example, uh, used, which was quite new, counter demonstration, royalist counter demonstrations, and also the, the word and the political tool of Baltaki, which is a, a Turkish Egyptian word, uh, has been a new feature in, in Morocco in 2011. Uh, by Baltaki, I mean uh, a way of constraining mobilization uh, with um, unemployed youth or uh, young thugs and plainclothes plain policemen which we would use physical assault and weapons to intimidate demonstrators and di disperse them. So, um, together with this, uh, this mix of repression, maintain of order, they innovated and, and used, uh, if you want, uh, imported uh, technique of coercion. But the efficiency of these modes of constraint was also linked to a broader set of public policies, which were not only distributing resources, but also dividing the public and producing support to the regime. Uh, on the one hand, these, there are resources provided by reform programs, and on the other hand, if you want, uh, people can evaluate the public policy effects, which provide them with the hope of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, first, um, which kind of resources are provided by reform programs. These reform programs not only link, link elites to the palace or state agencies, but their resources percolate uh, to the bottom of the political system, demonstrating the regime capacity to link various political and social worlds from the, the top to the bottom. And uh, social programs launched since uh, Mohammed VI's accession to the throne are key examples in, in that matter. One can mention, of course, the National Initiative for Human Development and also the Community Reparation Program. Since 2005, the National Initiative for Human Development has gathered in local coordination or teams, if you want, NGO activists, members of communal councils, 
and Ministry of Interior Civil Servants. Between 2005 and 2010, uh, the first part of the program, 1 billion, billion euros was spent uh, in direction of 5.2 million persons. These are uh, official figures. And a second part of the program was launched in June 2011 with 1.7 billion euros. And part of the program is funded by the, the World Bank. It's mostly, uh, it is mostly composed of uh, of um, what they call um, income-generating generati activities. The Community Reparation Program is another of these social programs and it follows uh, the same inst institutional architecture. Calls to tender, linkage of NGOs, communal councillors and, civil, um, and interior civil se servants, again in, in local teamworks. The program was part of the Equity and Reconciliation Commission, the, the, the Morgan Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and it is uh, um, inspired by programs implemented in other countries and which are promoted by the International Center for Transitional Justice in New York. Similar to other experiences of reconciliation, it combines empowerment action towards associative actors, income generative uh, generating activities like the, the National Initiative for Human Development and active preservation of memory, broadly defined. Community reparation in Morocco takes the form of a socio-economic development um, program in various regions. In these regions, populations perceive their economic and social mar marginalization to be a consequence of past repression of the, the 70s and, and the 80s. And furthermore, some of these regions were also the locations of secret detention centers such as Tazmamart or uh, Dermoulet Sheriff in the center town of Casablanca or areas where rebellions were crushed like in the middle, middle Atlas, in the reef in the north part of the country or in the, in the east near Algeria in, Figig, uh, in the Figig Oasis. As, as, as I said, on the other hand, people can evaluate public policy effects which provide them with the hope of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and I will take the example there of the unemployed graduate <coughs> mobilization. Um, the way they, they mobilize uh, place them in an anchored position with the 20th February movement because the purpose of their mobilization is neither to denounce how uh, the political economy of Morocco is working or even less to propose its transformation, but to the contrary, unemployed graduates aim to find their way to public employment positions, but out of, the open, uh, out of open competition. People obtain a position through their advancement on list, which counts participation to the demonstration organized by groups. Or if you want, the more you demonstrate, the, the, the more points you, you, you earn, and, and then the, the higher you are in the list. So taking to the street for these, uh, these people is only a way to gain access to local or national government where beneficiary names and numbers are negotiated. Uh, so this is why the 20th February movement and uh, the, the unemployed graduate uh, mobilization uh, could, not, uh, could not gather. And for example, the Prime Minister threat-like promise 
of distributing jobs to unemployed graduates in exchange for political quietness was carefully considered by Unemployed Graduate Association. The multiplication of protests of undergraduate unemployed, far from catching the regime off guard, in fact domesticated the, 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 these unemployed graduate groups. In January, Prime Minister Abbas Al-Fassi announced the hiring of uh, 1,300 unemployed graduates without competition, and the figure was, uh, was less for the, the whole 2011 and, and 10 uh, year. This number eventually amounted to 4,300 4, hired middle managers on the 1st of March. And then on, in July 2011, a written agreement between the Prime Minister and employed graduate group leaders planned to hire an additional 3,000 job seekers, once again without competition, without public competition, but as part of the 2012 Finance Act. And when uh, Prime Minister Ben Kiran uh, came to office, he, he denounced the, the, this, uh, this agreement, um, preferring to stick to the text of the Constitution and to the letter of the law, equal hiring for competition. But as we can see, public expenditure split the public into publics and the potential contributors to mobilizations. Another feature is that they, they met over past government measures, like for the, the National Initiative for Human Development, and for this reason they could appear sincere, since they were included in broader political arrangements. And finally, this public expenditure did not only concern poor or average people, but they also uh, concerned entrepreneurs or, if you want, rich people. In a sense, the, the government has been distributing uh, resources during, during and facing the uprising, but um, one has to, to clarify, uh, if you want, uh, all these remarks concerning the budgetization of the uprising, because all budgetary measures do not only affect popular sectors, and all of them um, were not taken during uh, the, the, the uprising. For example, a low on lower electricity prices was passed in Parliament in December 2011, but it was before the first demonstration in support of the Tunisian and Egyptian movements, so it is therefore difficult to count it among the measures countering the uprising. Or at least the aim was not to counter the uprising. But over general sectoral measures reflect the government's will to confine protests or avoid their deployment. And in February, the government announced a doubling of the compensation fund from 17 to 32 billion dirhams. And even, and already in 2011, the subsidy system was facing criticism because it benefits the richest household and industry more than the poor people. And this is where you, you can find the link between rich people, entrepreneurs, companies, and the regime through this compensation fund, uh, which is aimed, or which is uh, which usually people think is um, 
is linked to, uh, to, to poor people. The Al-Fasi government also consented to different revenue increases for workers um, and also increased the, the minimum threshold pension from 60 euros to, to 100 uh, euros. And finally, the public company, the Office Sherifian de Phosphate, which is a world major in phosphates and fertilizers, hired uh, not less than 5,800 persons and set a training program for 15,000 more people in April 2011. So you, you, you have here the whole bunch of, uh, of resources which have, uh, which have been distributed and in a way um, how the government budgetized uh, the, the, the uprising. Uh, I, my final, the final part of, of this lecture deal with, uh, deals with political reforms and the, the thickness of political life. Despite the disconnection between party politics and power comp competition, there is a political life in various countries of the region. And for example, elections are periodically organized with a no noticeable degree of competition in Jordan, Algeria, Morocco, even in Egypt, but at least not in, in 2010, even though these elections uh, never lead to democracy. In Algeria, if you want, the army let live a rich political life despite its neutralization. Political games and struggles are disconnected from taking and exercising power. Um, the, the, I will take into account the dynamics of these political fields, how constitutional reforms are tried and tested solutions in Morocco, not elsewhere, and how they reassert finally the hierarchy between actors. Actors of the Moroccan political field, be they in political parties or in trade unions, have carefully welcomed the uprisings. They were reluctant to mobilize in order to pressure the regime. Most of the time they refused to support burgeoning movements. For example, at the very last moment, uh, the Justice and Development Party uh, did not commit and did not participate to the first march of the 20th February mo uh, movement. And in Morocco, with the exception of small leftist parties, political party leaders denied their support to groups involved in street politics. In fact, they were fearing uh, street politics. In Tunisia and Egypt, authoritarian governments have violently limited political pluralism for many years before the uprising. Small political organizations have supported the uprisings, but the effect of a support coming from such marginalized organizations was only to confirm the absence of political life and the need for uh, profound changes. In Morocco, um, the king offered a constitutional reform in his um, March speech. But if he avoided the Ben Ali, Mubarak or Gaddafi's situation, whose discourse fueled popular mobilization, it is because his announcement in March were not, pulling, pu were not like pulling a rabbit out of her hat, but part of a longer sequence. First, the offer of reform is part of a 20-year history of political reforms. Secondly, the reform is addressed to political parties and trade unions, which represent something, or which represent more than an acronym, and are not mere opponent clubs 
with no social basis and thickness. There are real political parties and real trade unions. The vibrant political life, with a parliament, press debates, provided their efficiency to the royal speech and propositions. Again, the palace has managed to divide publics, spread politics. Containment is working together with a constitutional reform proposed to parties and trade unions. Thus, authorities did not only use repression against mobilization. With constitutional reforms, Mohammed VI is using a tried and test solution. Facing protests against sending troops in Iraq during the Second, War, uh, the Second Gulf War, Hassan uh, II announced a constitutional reform. And constitution was also reformed in 1996. So in 2011, when he offered um, um, a constitutional reform, the king was in a different situation than Ben Ali, Mubarak, or Ali Abdullah Saleh, or even Assad, whose rallying to political reform seemed delayed and compelled. What is more, why, why is Fiverr was concocting reform at the palace with, uh, with French lawyers, <coughs> Mohammed VI uh, appoints an advisory commission for constitutional reform, relying on local expertise. And some actors of the commission have leftist background, um, and many of them have a career at the crossroad of human rights activism and its institutional politics. It's worth noticing that the constitutional reform has been reasserting hierarchy between political actors. Uh, during the constitutional reform, the, the relations between the palace and political parties have not been modified. Parties only are only consulted and let the king know which their preferences are through memoranda. This use of memoranda demonstrates and underlines their weakness. And at least the, at the end, the strict hierarchy between actors in, is not softened at all. These memoranda also demonstrate the political field neutralization because political parties are very cautious and only propose limited gradual reforms. And so they are quite far from uh, the king should reign and not govern placards of the 20th February uh, Rabat demonstration. This is also uh, why the 20th February movement refused to participate to the protest, to the process, for sorry, preferring a constituent assembly and a constitution which would enshrine uh, the people's sovereignty. Despite its obvious limits and the unanimous campaign for the referendum, which is uh, here again following a previous reign style, the new constitution is not a mere cosmetic device. For example, the, the, the king's powers are clarified and his sacredness uh, is removed. But at the same time, and it is one of the main features of the, of the constitutional reform, the monarchy centrality is never put into question. At most, the constitution clarifies the legal ways and means of its domination on the field of power. In a way, and it's quite a paradox, the 20th February movement provided an opportunity for the monarchy to redefine 
its domination on the political field. In this presentation, I did not only address the question of mobilizations and their environment, which is uh, usually reduced to a set of factors which would be present whatever the context. I also choose to go beyond the mobilization repression nexus and aimed to present the 20th February movement mobilization in a broad per perspective. This is why I have tried to understand the social control of protest, being attentive to the history and the makings of the Moroccan contentious space. Not only has the movement found reluctant partners among uh, various mobilized group, groups like uh, the unemployed graduates, but it also had to count on the very limited support of political parties and trade unions, which, as usual, preferred to play the game set by the palace. As I mentioned, authorities' policy mix combine sticks and carrots on the short and the middle term. Three anniversaries were celebrated this year, and they are both at the crossroads of mobilizations and authoritarian reform. And both are showing at the same time the dynamics and the vibrant political life of Morocco and how um, authoritarian reform is, is unfolding. This year was the, the, the anniversary of the Equity and Reconciliation Commission, whose ambitious recommendations program is now part of the constitution in its title too. But what is more, it's, you can find it now in the mobilization program of the Moroccan Association for Human Rights, which is the most active human rights and political group in the country, and for this reason, one of the first targets of the Ministry of Interior. As I mentioned, the National Initiative for Human Development was launched 10 years ago, and the 10 February movement, um, whose uh, fourth anniversary uh, was celebrated this year, is more remaining as a moment and an identity. Because um, th th there is nothing such, like, such as a movement now, but people still define as uh, 20th February. And when you ask uh, people who they are, as uh, activists, they, said, I'm, they say, I'm, I'm a 20th February movement. But for incumbents and protesters, and this is important uh, to, to keep in mind, even though there is nothing, not such a thing remaining as the 20th February movement now, for incumbents and protesters, nothing will be ever the same again. Thanks. Much and uh, thank you for being very disciplined about the time, which gives us uh, at least half an hour for, for questions and answers from the floor. So, uh, I mean, terrific, there's a lot to think about. So, um, the floor is open, and uh, if you just say your name and affiliation, that sort of contributes to the quality of the discussion. But, uh, your first. Hi, uh, did you from the Peace Bridge? Um, my question is with regard to the level of analysis. What you uh, describe seems to apply very well to the center of Morocco, so Rabat and Casablanca. And I was wondering if the model of 
the uh, social control of, of the protesting field also applies to the peripheries and the protests that seem to have emerged in those areas. Is it simply a matter of calibrating the amount of repression as opposed to the amount of concession, or do we need to think of uh, control of these protests in, in a different manner? I know that uh, in some areas, protests seem to be geared towards obtaining more social goods rather than uh, political gains. So I was wondering um, what you had to say about this. Mm, sure. Um, yeah, let's take a couple more. Yeah. Yeah. Is Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Pejman from the Center of Middle East uh, London School of Economics in Philo. Just wanted to ask uh, two brief questions. The first one is just how would you put in a category of the regime, the Morocco's one at this point? I mean, a hybrid regime or a semi-authoritarian one? I mean, this way of balancing uh, the control at the same time giving some spaces is brings a, I mean, an interesting category of this uh, system. How would you put it now? And the second thing is about the opposition. We wanted to ask, what about the social elite or cultural elite in Morocco, which is abroad or even inside? I mean, are there some forces able to make a transition going against the, the, the king, or everything is included in, inside of the movement which is controlled by the king himself? Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. All right, let's have one more, and then we'll take that first <laughs> round. I'm Roxanne, former former at the University of Cambridge. Um, I've thought of the Moroccan situation as being more uh, like, for example, Bahrain that you mentioned, or Tunisia, or uh, rather than, in fact, Algeria. But from what you've said, it implies that, in fact, the parties and movements and unions really were quite fearful about going into the uh, streets. And in fact, therefore, this was less of the, of the model of some of the other Arab uprisings. I also stay away from the word Arab Spring. Um, and actually, more of the Algerian type of model, if one thinks of it writ large. I, I don't want to be too specific. but. Mm. Okay, thanks. So is, the, is your question, um, <laughs> were those unions and political parties quite fearful of going into the yeah, street, in words, unlike in Tunisia <coughs> and Bahrain? The fear okay. was one of the things that, in a sense, yeah. okay. characterized the Arab uprising, certainly mm. in Egypt and Tunisia, mm. uh, that for a moment that fear was gone and created yeah. a type of uprising. I had put Morocco 